Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Body Bags with Joseph Scott Morgan. When I was a kid, you could be up late at night sometimes watching TV. And they've always got these uh, public service announcements that come on. Uh, you know, I, I guess it's these stations, they have to do their good deeds. And they'll tell you about things you're not supposed to do. And even back then, they would have don't drink and don't drive stuff. They'd have stuff about drugs. But, you know, one of the most chilling commercials I remember, and maybe some of y'all remember too, from, and it would have been when I was a little kid, man, back in the, back in the 60s. They used to have this old abandoned lot in somewhere in New York, and they would show kids playing around all of this garbage and trash, and there was a, a refrigerator there in the middle of that lot. And they would have superimposed the word don't over it. 
And the idea was, and you could hear the kids were saying, here I come, ready or not. And they were playing hide and seek. And one of the purposes for this commercial was to warn people about the dangers of crawling inside of a refrigerator and shutting the door behind them, particularly children. And that, that always just kind of shook me to my core. Uh, and today, we're going to talk about a case that's not in New York. It's, it's actually in L.A. In a very upper-scale condominium apartment complex in downtown L.A. Involving a beautiful woman who herself is actually found inside of a refrigerator dead i'm joseph scott morgan and this is body bags old refrigerators they used to lock from the outside they had that 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 handle that would actually engage an exterior lock and once you close that thing behind you there was no getting out of this thing we're talking about a 31 year old model uh, Melissa Mooney, who her family hadn't talked to her in a week. They called the police and said, would you do a welfare check? Go check on, on my beautiful daughter. That was what her mom said. And they did. And I can't imagine what was going through their head when they opened the door to this place and look around. And in the refrigerator is a 31-year-old model that has been bound, gagged, stuffed in there, and there's blood beneath her. Whatever happened was so violent and so evil. Do you think she was alive when they put her in there, Joe? I, I don't know. That's one of the big mysteries here because I got to be honest with you, Dave, this, this case really caught my attention. And first off, it's super bizarre because you're talking about a grown woman being stuffed into a refrigerator. And secondly, and probably most importantly, as far as what attracted me to want to discuss this was the fact that, uh, they're not releasing a lot of information. What we know is all we know. And the family doesn't know a whole lot either. Actually, the family is sharing more information than the police are. Yeah, yeah. And, and many times... Not totally uncommon. No, it's not. And some of, that, some of the stuff is secondary, okay? Uh, and I'll tell you from my perspective, when families come in to the medical examiner's office, I'm not saying that what we're going to say to the family is dictated by the police, okay? However, the police are working this case as well they should be as a homicide. So right. uh, if you're inside the investigative bubble, you're not going to allow a lot of information to go out. So where else does the family go and get info? Well, many times uh, that information comes about as a result of the family engaging with the mortuary. And isn't that something? Because you know, once once the body is released from the coroner slash medical examiner, dependent upon where you live and what you have there, and it goes into the hands of the mortuary service, um, you're paying them. They're working for you as a family. Uh, you know, they're going to tell you things like uh, this is uh, what we have as far as options to uh, have a viewing and the kind of casket you can purchase and all these sorts of things. But they also get into more intimate details when the family begins to ask. What does she look like? And then they also will ask the big question, we want to see her. 
And many times funeral directors will say, look, we can let you see the body, but we would strongly, strongly urge you to not do this. It, did something like this kind of occur with this case, Dave? I think it did, Joe. Uh, based on, I've told you this before, um, in my early days of radio, yeah. um, because we didn't make much money, I did work for a funeral home. Right. I've had the opportunity to go to scenes and, and uh, as a person, not as a medical person or as a law enforcement person, as a radio guy doing a second job to pay my rent. You right, know? right. And so I did see things that I I didn't need to see. And I did ha I did tell a family one time when their dad had fallen down the stairs. He really did. It was one of those deaths where he fell down the stairs and broke his neck. Yeah. But he had been damaged on the way down because his head hit like the stair post mm -hmm. and it, it was messed up. Yeah. And I did know them. I knew the, their children, and um, and they were asking for information. And I shouldn't have said anything. I should have said, talk to my boss, talk to the police, anybody. Don't ask me. I should have said nothing. But I did. I said, you don't want to see him. And it's because I saw him at the death scene. I didn't know what they were capable of doing of fixing him up to make him look presentable for the funeral. And so all I did was plant a really horrible thought in their mind about their dad and their husband. When in fact they were able to do an open casket, he looked fine, but I ruined that based on what I said. Well, hey, look, don't don't feel like the Lone Ranger. I've I've made the same mistake as as a quote unquote professional uh, death investigator. I actually uh, made the mistake of telling telling a woman one night, an elderly mother actually, who was in Virginia. I'd had the authorities go out. I worked the case of her son. I had the authorities go out to her home to, to notify her and actually told the police to have her call me. And when they, she called me, I made the mistake of telling this elderly mother that her son had died of autoerotic asphyxia. Oh no. Yeah, I know. And it's like, listen, you need to learn to keep your mouth shut because there's only certain amounts of information that families can digest at any one time. And, and families that receive bad information, they become, uh, and I'm not being insulting. I mean, uh, they're so damaged by the, the fact that they're in the state of shock. It's almost like feeding a baby a steak. Uh, yeah, it's food and the baby needs nourishment, but you don't feed steak to babies. And so you, they're not capable of digesting this and all that sort of thing. And of course, by me saying that to her, the next thing is it's her son. She says, my word, what in the world is that? And I had no business saying that, but I think with this family, one of the things that they have, at least in their mind confirmed is that uh, this poor young lady was greatly traumatized. Uh, her body was uh, and they, what was it that, that they were told uh, about her body relative to broken bones or something? I her sister said this, that both of her ankles were broken. And I'm thinking, Joe, how does that happen in this particular case with a 31 year old woman who's in decent shape and is fighting, but that's what sticks out. I'm just wondering, does that happen post, uh, before she dies, it happened after. Can you tell if it was? Yeah, yeah. Actually, it's an excellent question. And I think the fact that they're saying that they were broken ankles, that's very specific, isn't it, Dave? You know, when you think about uh, 
I don't know, the lack of a better term, anatomical specificity. You know, you're talking about bilateral, which means both ankles were broken. If that is what the family heard and if that is what they were told, but let's just go with that just for a second and think about the size. I want everybody at home, when you get a chance, go and look at your refrigerator, you know, whatever the configuration is. Now, look, I know that some of you guys have got big, fancy refrigerators. You know, you've got the, uh, the uh, whatever those things are called, the Vulcan, whatever they are, and they open up and it, it's a whole, look, I ain't got one of those. <laughs> All I know is that is that my refrigerator is just big enough for Kim and I to, you know, to put what we have to put in there. And the thought that I could actually put a, a full grown woman into a refrigerator and not compromise her body in some way. Uh, I think you, you really hit the nail on the head here, Dave, because if in fact she's got broken bones, one of the big things that the medical legal community is going to have to answer for the police is, well, if you've got bilateral fractured ankles, and that's what the sister has said, uh, not us. That's what the sister has said. Um, you have to ask yourself the question, well, is this something that was done in life? And if it was done in life, you're going to see ecchymosis or, or bruising, swelling. If it's done after death, it'll be absent that. Now, you'll see the tearing of tissue, but you're not going to have indwelling uh, swelling. Uh, you're not going to have uh, focal areas of hemorrhage. There's not going to be, you know, dark bruising, that sort of thing. Um, and what's odd is that most of the time when you see fractured bilateral ankles, you know, when I generally saw those, Dave, in my career, All right. motor vehicle accident. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, car accidents, pedestrians struck by vehicle, and interestingly enough, people that die in plane crashes. It's like that's one of the common features that you will see are bilateral fr fractured ankles. And so, and it's just the impact of that. It's a very difficult area to fracture. So I'm thinking whoever has placed this poor young woman's uh, beaten and broken body into this refrigerator really had to manipulate her, manipulate her remains in total. And here's one more thing. They went to great lengths to bind her. As a matter of fact, from what I'm hearing, it sounds as though she was probably hog-tied. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with a king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Joseph Scott Morgan, and a big shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing free samples. I live in an area where allergies are a day-to-day issue, and finding an over-the-counter option for relief is like the holy grail. I use Astapro, and I strongly recommend you give it a try. Astapro is a first-of-its-kind nasal allergy spray, and it's the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes, while other allergy sprays can take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. Astapro delivers full prescription strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to AstaproAllergy.com for a discount so you can Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O-Allergy.com. Astapro and go. Use as directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. A couple months back, my wife and I, we were out in L.A. and we we took a train trip uh, up to Santa Barbara. I was a producer on a movie and we went to the Santa Barbara Film Festival. I've never done this before. I took the Amtrak from L.A. and we took it up to Santa Barbara in Oh my gosh. Uh, it was some of the most beautiful countryside I've ever seen in my life. But the one thing, and that that's kind of the way LA is, you look around and when you're in kind of a, a moving spot like that, and you're not having to fight traffic yourself, you can, you can appreciate. You see the snow-capped mountains off in the distance. We've got the ocean that's right next to us. But then there's that underlying seedy side to it too. Everybody thinks that it's gorgeous. And then you get out there and you're around the train tracks, and it's dirty. There's graffiti everywhere, and you're thinking, "Wow, how could how could a place be so diametrically opposing?" You know, when you look at it, and that kind of sums up. That kind of sums it up for me. It does. We all have a vision of L.A. and that and yeah. Southern California, and oftentimes the stories that we cover deal with the bad part of town. Not the case here. This particular place that we're talking about, where Melissa. Mooney lived, um, we're talking about an upscale apartment building that has several L.A.-based models living in it, not just her, 
Um, she actually had just moved into that apartment. Uh, she had yeah, just she'd only back. been in a few weeks. Yeah, right? she had, think, yeah, she'd been out in Miami and she came back and she was still moving stuff from her mom's house into her apartment. And that's why it meant so much to them. That's why the timing of this, because the last time uh, Melissa was seen coming into the building on security camera was uh, six days before her body was found. And they have her walking in on surveillance film. Now, here's the other part of this. There was no forced entry into her apartment. They had, the police had gone out there to make one call. And you mentioned this to me, and I'm so glad you did. Uh, they, they knocked on the door, didn't get anything. And so they left a card. They didn't have a key to get in. Right. Police needed to have the building manager actually let them into her apartment. The picture we got from police is they walked in, they found her body in wedged into the refrigerator, and there was blood underneath her body, and it was, you could tell she'd been in a bad fight. What we're getting from the family is a little bit different, and it is that her sister said that when they arrived, that the police made them wait downstairs, would not let them into the apartment, and the apartment was freezing cold, the air had been turned down, and that it had been flooded, okay? Mooney's apartment flooded, and the air conditioning blasting. The family went to her apartment a few days after they had, the, they called the police the first time. They were told by the building manager they weren't allowed in. They called the police, who discovered Mooney's apartment flooded, and the air conditioning blasting. They made the family wait downstairs for hours until the police told them they did find a body, but they can't identify who it is. So, Joe, what, what are we dealing with? An air, why is the air conditioner turned way down? Why is there a flood? And is it really that possible that a beating could make somebody unrecognizable, even when you're the police and you know who is supposed to occupy this dwelling? Yeah, you can't make the assumption just because you open up the refrigerator that it's going to be the person that's actually domiciled there. Because... Look, uh, and this has happened. This is documented. There are documented cases of this where you'll have somebody that is beaten to to a pulp and their body is found in one specific location and they are misidentified based upon the geographic location in which they are found, primarily a domicile. So it's a dangerous road to go down. And, and the nature of this death, uh, I want to back up just for a second. And, you know, we're talking about the fractured ankles a little while ago. And I was thinking, well, how much time did the perpetrator, obviously some time, spend uh, in this apartment with her, um, you know, either prior to death or obviously after death? Um, how much effort did it take to get her into this refrigerator? Because, you know, there are those those cases where, uh, that, you know, many of us have heard, heard about in the past where people went to a, uh, went to a funeral home and, uh, perhaps the, uh, the individual that was going to go into the casket they were too tall for the casket limbs had been broken. You know, that has happened in the past in order to fit them in. Is that what happened here? Was it, they were just trying to jam her body to conceal her body into this environment so that no one would be any of the wiser. Now, they had to assume that someone is going to find her eventually. But look, the longer the perpetrator can delay that initial contact with, uh, with the body where, where the body is discovered, the higher the opportunity is or probability is that the perpetrator can get further and further and further away. So, you know, you, you talked about how she's in a refrigerated space 
And here's one other thing. The family, or when the police walked in, they saw items on the table that would, and they didn't say what they were, um, adjacent to the refrigerator that are commonly associated with needing to be refrigerated, as if the refrigerator had been cleaned out. These items put on the desk or on the table, and then she's found in there. And then you've already got her in a refrigerated space. Why are you going to take the temperature of the of her apartment and turn it all the way down? Well, it's almost like a fail safe. Now, as for the the origin of the water, why why would there be flooding going on in here? The only thing I can think of is perhaps perhaps there was some effort to clean up, and they left water running. And the thought that you know, and and this is actually true, water destroys a lot of things from an evidentiary standpoint, wasn't an attempt to go back. And if there was any kind of dynamic blood uh, deposition on any of the surfaces, maybe they were just rolling a dice to see if they could eradicate, mm-hmm. eradicate those bits of evidence with water. And, and so it, there's more, there's more to this than meets the eye. I think there's some thought that went into this and that's, it's kind of uh, the way the body was handled is kind of disorganized. But there was some thought that went into this, and I think a lot of anger, Dave. Well, according to a lot of this information coming from the family, because the police are being quiet, but we do know that uh, Melissa Mooney had FaceTimed their cousin on September the 6th, that she went out with friends that night uh, to a place in Santa Monica, you know, had a couple of drinks and what have you, and then they all went back to her apartment, hung out there till 3 or 4 in the morning. That was the last time anybody talked to Melissa Mooney is about three or four in the morning. Apparently they have these people on surveillance video leaving, but the family was getting text messages from her phone and they were kind of vague. They didn't, they weren't all exactly as they had were used to getting from her. And that's when they, the family started reaching out to, we we're not getting her on the phone. We haven't seen her we need to figure out what's going on. And, uh, her phone and laptop had been stolen. Uh, a designer purse from her apartment was also gone. This is all according to her sister. Her sister said, whoever killed her, uh, most likely knew her phone passcode. Now you're talking about somebody that actually knew her well enough to know the passcode and was sending her family vague text messages. She didn't elaborate on the text messages, but they also found out that someone had put her cell phone. Mooney's cell phone was up for sale for a hundred dollars. That's pretty cheap for a, a cell phone. Uh, I'm assuming it's a good one, but this is coming from the family. Now uh, we, we don't have this from the police. So I'm pretty careful in talking about this because you don't know. I mean, this is what the family is telling us and it makes sense because otherwise what would have, what would have been the reason for asking the police to go check on her? So the police find the air conditioning cranked way down. They know that the, and it's by the way, that was on the 12th on September 12th. They know the last time she was seen on that coming into the building was on September the 6th. So if she was killed that night, the next day, there's a six day window here where they had to prevent the body from alerting the whole building that there was somebody dead in here. So that kind of goes back to the air conditioning being turned down. And then now, wait a minute, they took stuff out of their refrigerator to put her body in there. So they've killed her and the autopsy. I got to ask you about this, Joe. If they killed her in by beating, that's a pretty violent, horrible thing to beat somebody to death. But the autopsy report, Joe, you're going to have to break this down. The autopsy report, it tells us that 
she died of homicidal violence. But how is it possible to know it was homicidal violence, but there's no clear cause of death? That's the actual autopsy report. No clear cause of death. How is that possible? The term homicidal violence is very vague when you're trying to assess exactly what the specific cause of death is. When you couple the fact that she's gotten multiple trauma that they discover to her body about her head and her neck, bruises, abrasions, strikes to the head, there's even a laceration. You think about this, there's no defensive injuries. You really wonder, was this a case of oxygen deprivation? That's something that perhaps they could assess at autopsy, but I do know this. There was one other thing that they found at autopsy. Melissa Mooney was eight weeks pregnant. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I didn't mean to drop that on you like a 100-pound a anvil, but yeah, she's... Um, this poor 
young lady is is pregnant and of course that 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 goes into you know what we do in the morgue with having to do the assessment and i think from an investigative standpoint dave this is a very violent crime uh, that kind of goes without saying so you begin to think as an investigator what what in the world would drive this kind of anger and rage what is it that would motivate someone to take the life of this beautiful 31 year old woman what would it be could it be the fact that she is pregnant it wouldn't be the first time that we had seen that eight weeks pregnant she was pregnant enough that her sister was told by melissa had told her i'm pregnant i'm all i can think of is ray caruth and i i hate to bring that guy up but it happened over 20 years ago, but his, his girlfriend was pregnant and he actually orchestrated her murder. He did yeah. go to prison for it. Uh, she died. Uh, she was actually able to call 911. She was shot in the head, but she called 911. She told exactly what happened. They were able to save her baby. Um, and he did live, although with some uh, issues. In this particular case, Joe, we have a woman that is eight weeks pregnant. Don't know how long she's been in there in, in that refrigerator, beaten up the way that she was. But right, um, what would happen at, at autopsy with regard to uh, a baby? You're, you're talking eight weeks. Are they going to actually look at that? Is it going to be dismissed, or what happens when you have somebody like this? No, no, no. Yeah, with uh, first off, you know, at autopsies, when you do a full autopsy, it means full autopsy. So every organ system in the body, including the reproductive system, is going to be examined. And I have personally in the morgue removed uh, fetuses and at, at all stages of growth. And here we're talking about um, a baby that would have been uh, eight weeks gestational age. So you're talking about probably about the size of um, about the size of a kidney bean at this point in time. But still, you can pick up on a lot of the features. Uh, there would be an assessment uh, because there's standard standard measurements that fall in for gestational age. It's kind of how we measure this. And that's important for the investigation. How many people had she told that she was pregnant? Uh, was whoever fathered this child, are they aware that she was pregnant? Was she pregnant in Florida? Uh, well, we'd have to think that she probably was. Mm -hmm. Because if she's at eight weeks at this point in time and she just has moved to L.A., well, look, I want to know if somebody's followed her from Florida at this point in time as an investigator to try to assess it. And who's going to feel comfortable enough within her little domicile to make these kind of moves in here that are so over the top and so violent that they have this familiarity? You know, and you'd mentioned something key just a little while ago, Dave, and that was the fact that somebody had been... Uh, fiddling with her phone, that mm -hmm. they were trying to open this thing up. I, I don't know about you. I mean, I, I can get into my wife's phone. She can get into my phone. But if you were to hand me your phone, I couldn't get into it. You know, no. I don't, I don't, I don't have that kind of information about you. And I don't want that kind of information about you. But what I'm saying is that that goes to a level of intimacy now, doesn't it? And that would all have to be considered by the police in a case like because they actually sent text messages. So we know not only did they get in there and look, we don't know what they deleted. We don't know what they did. 
We just know that they were trying to extend out the time that the family believed she was alive. You know, they didn't, they wanted to disguise that. So they were able to send, I wish you would tell us what was said in those text messages. And this, by the way, this information is coming from her sister. Her right. sister is saying the family received text messages, vague text messages, but enough that they were concerned about something going on because this was not normal procedure for them. Yeah, and it's 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 a critical time for them too, in the sense. And just let me kind of frame this out: it's it's a critical time for this family because they know uh, that Melissa is moving. And I don't know about you, every every time I've ever moved in my life, it's like it generates stomach acid. I can't <laughs> if I never have to move again as long as I live, it'll suit me just just fine. It, it's a trying time for anybody that engages in it. How much more so for a young lady that's pregnant? And she's moving literally, literally all the way across the country to a new location. I don't don't know if she was living in Miami, Florida before she came to L.A. Don't know that. She might have been out there visiting. I don't know. I I have because there's so much of this uh, that we don't know. And the fact that we're getting a lot of it from the family. But what we do know iron in stone as she had just moved into that building. Yeah. And I know that she did have another apartment in the LA area, uh, someplace that she had been domiciled at, but this movement is, is intriguing to me because I'd want to know who would, who would be within her life that would either have knowledge or have direct knowledge of, of her life to this point. And is there somebody there that someone could identify that, would have this level of violence and dwelling within them. Well, let me ask you this, Joe, because here's what we've got. We've got a building that houses a lot of local LA models enough that they consider it the models building. Uh, we know, and here's, we know that the person, somebody was using her phone to reach out to family. So they had to know how to get into her phone. They had to know which family members would be expecting to hear something from her, not just replying to things. Cause you've kind of got to know, but she was beaten so badly every part of her body head to toe she was ravaged she was beaten right who's going to be quiet aren't you going to hear something yeah you would think that but you know they're they're saying in you know our our kind of uh um, fallback position relative to you know when we go and assess a scene is no signs of forced entry or struggle and what they're saying is that there was not a lot of evidence of a struggle there in any way so who would be there that would get the upper hand on her to the point where they could subdue her. That's where these bindings come in that I think that when they examine, examine her, uh, because there were a couple of cords that were used, there were items of clothing that were used to restrain her. And to me, it sounds like a kind of a traditional hog tying kind of event. So if you want to think about her hands at the wrist are bound behind her back, they are then in turn, bound to the ankles and the ankles play key in this, don't they? Because they're bilaterally fractured and she's stuffed into this refrigerator in this manner. And it's an awkward position to be in. I can only imagine, uh, that, you know, it, it would not be as, uh, manageable to get a body in that posture as it would if you had balled her up into more of a fetal position where the knees are drawn in and you can, but somebody made this decision prior to uh, putting her in the refrigerator where she's in this kind of, uh, you know, uh, affected position where her ankles are behind her. They're both bound up 
and they are in turn tied to her wrist where they're anchored. And then she's got a gag um, that's created by a partial piece of clothing that she had on that was stuffed into her mouth. Now you combine that with the beating. And then on top of it, remember what I said in my opening about kids getting inside of refrigerators and suffocating. Mm -hmm. Remember the interior, the interior space of a refrigerator is not, is not measured in uh, square feet. It's measured in cubic inches. You, you've only you've got a finite amount of oxygen in here. So just imagine, if you will, when they're examining her body at autopsy, one of the things they're going to be looking for, does she have really heavy lungs, which could be consistent with being in a congestive failure, congestive state that would come about as a result of oxygen deprivation? Did she die as a result of oxygen deprivation that was subsequent to her beating that he and I'm saying he, he beat her down to the point where she's got these horrible injuries to her face, head, neck, uh, her upper body, gets her submitted, ties her up, places her in the refrigerator. Maybe she's still alive, but if she is, uh, she's not going to have enough oxygen in there to sustain her very long. And she's gasping for air. She's breathing shallow already. And on top of it, she's got a gag in her mouth. Yeah. They will be able to determine if she was alive when she was wedged, their words wedged into that refrigerator, correct? Yes. Is yeah. there a way? Okay. Yeah, because there would now, be. You mentioned the bindings. Um, police said, you know, her body was wedged in the refrigerator with blood beneath her body. Yeah. I'm wondering because of being tied up, hogtied in that way, and she's been gagged. Uh, and she's got it, it. They actually pointed out there was more clothing was found around her neck and face uh, and her mouth had been gagged. So you've got her gagged. Now you've wrapped more clothing around her head and face and there's blood beneath uh, her body. Mm-hmm. Is that indicative of something having that much blood underneath her body in the refrigerator? Yeah, if she's bleeding. OK, let's just say that she and again, we don't know the configuration of her of her body. So we're kind of spitballing here, but if she Mm -hmm. is in, in a position where she's not inverted, her head is topside, essentially. She sustained quite a bit of trauma. If, if those bits of clothing that are encompassing her head, her neck, her face are super saturated with blood, then the blood could drip down and settle in the lower portion of the refrigerator beneath her body. And even if she's inverted and placed in there, you can have seepage of blood out of the nose. If she's still alive when she goes in there and she's just sustained, say any kind of fracture, facial fractures or anything like that, she's going to be bleeding from the nose and the mouth. Perhaps Uh, she might be coughing up blood in that environment. And that's going to be very important to, for them to have assessed I'm I'm really hoping from a um, from a physical evidence standpoint that not only did they you know take everything that was associated with her the bindings and all of this hopefully they left her in that state and that's what we do you don't cut these things loose at the scene you would place her into the body bag in the same position, hopefully, that they found her in, in the refrigerator, or as close to as approximation as possible, with the binding still in place. Because the forensic pathologist is not at the scene. They can't 
there's no way that they can actually visualize this if you cut everything away and then you take them to the morgue it's better to leave the bindings in place and have them remove them after they've been very specifically documented through photography. But to my point, I'm hoping that they took this refrigerator as well, Dave. I'm hoping that they unplugged this thing. They loaded this up, that LAPD, their evidence people took this, that it's, it's actually going to be studied in the crime lab and see what they can come up with. Was the person gloved that was, you know, touching the door handle? Uh, did they wipe it down perhaps? Or was there a latent print found anywhere on there? We would expect to find her latent prints, maybe some of her family members that have come over to visit, maybe somebody that helped her move over this period of time. But if there are any other unknown fingerprints there, they can capture them at that moment in time. Hopefully they didn't just leave that refrigerator at the scene and that it went with uh, the evidence collection people at that particular time. The lead detective from the LAPD is a guy named David Marcinek. Uh, he actually said that he has never investigated a case where the coroner listed homicidal violence as the cause of death. Have you ever seen that? Yes, I have. And it's very nonspecific. And what that means, anytime you hear that, um, and I'll tell you how broad ranging it is. I even see that on, cause I review a lot of cases, Dave, uh, you know, with everything I do in media and I find it, I find it with uh, skeletal remains. They will list and many times it'll read like this nonspecific homicidal violence manner of death, which there are five, they'll list the manner of death as a homicide, but they won't say specifically like, you know, they'll say in the autopsy report, which they say in her autopsy report, um, that she sustained multiple blunt force trauma. But however, there's this one caveat that we're hearing. They're saying that this level of blunt force trauma that she sustained is not traditionally sufficient to bring about a death. I'll let that sink in. So what else are they looking at? That's why I keep going back to this idea. Was she actually still living when she was placed into the refrigerator? And this is a case of a restrained woman who has been severely beaten. And then in the end, she was deprived of oxygen. I'm Joseph Scott Morgan, and this is Body Bags. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? 
Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love addicted to true crime catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on a&e crime central crave adventure explore asian action movies on hayah searching for something extreme check out skating snowboarding and more on fuel tv plus the global home of action sports and find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's hit nation playlist there's new free shows and movies to love every week say free this week in your xfinity voice remote 